0: We have a hell of a show this week. I'm Dave Zirin. We are talking to one of the most prominent trans female athletes in these United States, Texas roller girls and Team USA roller derby player, Fifi Nomenon. Something like a phenomenon. Greatest name ever. Now, her name in regular life is Penelope Niederlander, but we're going to call her Fifi Nomenon.
1: I think that I would still probably go to North Carolina to play a game. I will go to the bathroom with someone who is trans that feels threatened because I don't necessarily feel threatened, especially in like a roller derby environment, because you know what? Bring it. You mess with, you know, mess with fifi phenomenon. See what happens.
0: We're going to speak to Fifi about what makes roller derby special and what it's like to be a trans athlete in Texas a place where the demonization of transgender people is on full blast. How did you come to Derby? I,
1: uh, I, I saw Whip It. I saw that movie when it came out in 2009.
0: The Drew Barrymore, Ellen Page movie.
1: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Ruthless, what's
0: up? Um, I, I just had something I wanted to tell y'all. 17? 17?
1: What if you'd gotten hurt? Her parents could sue the league, you guys. Oh, I know. Uh, yeah. We're in enough trouble with the fire marshal as it is. Exactly. You know what? She can still play as long as she gets permission from one of her parents.
0: I can't.
1: I'm, I'm not even really living at home right now. Well, even though you can't skate with us and you're a big liar, you're still a hurl scout. Yeah, you could be our mascot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go. Okay, okay, okay. And uh, I just liked what it looked like, you know, as far as more at the time, actually, about like the culture of it than the sport. So yeah, that really drew me in was like, you know, the, the type of people. Uh, I was living in Los Angeles at the time, and some of the people that were in the movie skated in Los Angeles. So it was, it was very similar. It had a, had a similar culture to what that movie was. So the LA Derby Dolls, we have these like beginner classes, and I, I really wasn't a roller skater even at the time. So I was just really looking to learn how to roller skate. I took these, you know, one hour classes and then I started taking more and more of them and I would take like up to like four a week. And I just really got hooked. I I made some really good friends Mm -hmm. and, you know, I started, you know, not falling quite as much. And, uh, it was just a really fun, like, you know, after work activity where I could get some exercise and, and hang out with people. And then it sort of turned into more athletic endeavor from there.
0: Now, from my own research, it just seems like the world of derby is extremely supportive and welcoming to trans athletes. Why do you think derby has been able to create this kind of environment where so many other sports have failed?
1: You know, I I do think that's true. I think that that's very true. I definitely would not be playing this sport at any level if they were not inclusive. And and just to have a little history, when I showed up at LADB. I like let some some of them know. Uh, and I'm like, hey, I'm trans. Is that going to be cool? And they're like, oh man, we don't even have a policy for that. That's never happened in this league before. And they're like, we've heard of it. It's, you know, other leagues have, have trans skaters. And so they like got together and came back to me and they're like, so uh, the board met and we have a new policy. So you're good. And it was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. You know, the sport is founded very much in the roots of like punk sensibilities and third wave feminism. It's a, a sport that has grown from an entirely predominantly uh, female base, which is sort of, I, mean, I don't know if it's unprecedented, but like for how big it's gotten, right? I, I don't know another sport where it isn't, you know, basketball and then women's basketball, right? So mm. like our sport was not founded in this incarnation initially on pure athleticism. Like there were some definite athletic skaters back then, but I think that it started a little bit more performance and evolved into athletic. And I think that that gave it a different trajectory from a lot of other sports. And Mm. so inclusion of just body types is a huge thing that we're very proud of in our sport. You know, we have tiny people, big people, tall, short, you know, like it really doesn't matter at all who you are. Like you, if you can play, you can play.
0: Now, as obviously you're no doubt aware, um, trans rights have just exploded as an issue. Um, I mean, even even like I, I would have said that to you a year ago or two years ago, but even in the last month, month and a half, it's just unbelievable. It's wild. And I did want to ask you, as a prominent trans athlete, do you feel, especially at this moment, like a sense of obligation to speak out against transphobia or is it exhausting to always be expected to have something to say about it just because you are a prominent trans athlete
1: you know i've posted a couple things on facebook and because i do have a large enough group of like facebook people and i always post to the world whatever occasionally someone not in the roller derby community sees it and i do get the occasional troll who then you know well, actually, you know, this, you know, <laughs> gives me the, explains to me why, you know, me and my kin are a threat to their, you know, children or whatever, you know, for peeing. When that happens, I will try to explain my side of things. And then if not, whatever, I've got also like 20 people that jump down their throats, So I, I don't feel particularly threatened in any online forums that I'm involved in. Mm-hmm. But I think the bigger role that I can play as just a trans person is not hiding from it and challenging those people with my existence, right? So, like, I think that I would still probably go to North Carolina to play a game because they have to confront this. If everyone leaves those states that has any common sense, then those states are going to be worse. And maybe there's a few people there that don't have the luxury of leaving, and it's going to be enormously worse for them. So, you know, like, at an event that I'm at, I will – go to the bathroom with someone who is trans that feels threatened because I don't necessarily feel threatened, especially in like an environment where a roller derby environment, because you know what, like bring it, you mess with, you know, mess with the phenomenon, see what happens. You know, I've got at least 5,000 Facebook friends that are going to jump down your throat for that, but not everyone does. And so I think that that's maybe the place where I can do good, just
0: kind of living. And what you say also is very, important too because north carolina is not monolithic you know you've got asheville you've got the college towns Uh, you've got charlotte which sparked this just by passing a a trans-friendly ordinance and so this idea of also the boycott that makes it more complicated because you want to show solidarity with people who are fighting for this absolutely you're in texas but you're also you know you're in austin So Austin is like Texas with an asterisk. But, you know, you've got this lieutenant governor who has pledged to turn down like billions of dollars in public school money over bathrooms. What do you have to say to Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick? If you could say anything directly to him, what would you say?
1: I have to say that I don't think that telling him anything is going to do any good. This guy might personally believe this, or he might just believe that he has to be on board with this issue because he knows that his base is predominantly a bunch of bigots, you know? And so speaking directly to like someone who is willing to make that kind of statement on behalf of his backwards beliefs or the backwards beliefs of the people who he feels employs him, you know, as a constituency, that's not who I need to impress and change probably. I mean, like it can happen, you know, changing the mind of someone in politics can It can happen, but probably not by one person, probably by a groundswell. You know, if this person sees that 51% of his electorate is not in line with the views, then, you know, either this guy is not going to get elected or he's going to be afraid not to get elected. In that way, changing the views of people by degree is going to be what's going to work. If you look at gay rights and, you know, gay marriage, um, growing up in the 80s, gay was an insult. Uh, It was okay in... PG 13 movies to call someone a fag. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, like we're living in a very different world now. And a big thing that, you know, people attribute to that is that everyone has um, a gay friend or brother or sister or parent or child, cousin, whatever. Like it's the, I know someone and they're okay. And I think that that's a real big mover, you know, maybe at glacial speeds, but like just uh, visibility is huge. I'm sure we live in like, I live in the, the blueberry of the cherry pie of Texas where it's like super liberal but you know it's Austin is still a really big growing town and Dallas and Houston are have the capability of of growing more progressive in their thinking and eventually things will change through visibility you know so i don't think saying anything to him is going to make a difference but me living as a openly trans person and knowing people and being friendly to people, I think, is going to make more of a difference. And as far as like him turning down money for schools, that's obscene. I mean,
0: it's Texas.
1: But it's, it's crazy. And it turned out, what was it, 18 billion or something like yeah. that? It's, it's nuts. That's going to be felt somewhere. And those people are going to be pissed. Maybe education doesn't get the attention it deserves. I mean, it definitely doesn't. But if you keep making decisions like that, it's not a winning side.
0: Everybody needs music when they work out. What do you listen to that gets your blood pumping?
1: I really like Americana and bluegrass. And Give us um, a band.
0: Plug a band.
1: Okay, I'm going to plug a band. I'm going to say Shovels and Rope.
0: Shovels and Rope.
1: Yeah, do you know them?
0: No, but now I'm going to look oh, into they're out
1: them. Of, yeah, you got it. They're out of South Carolina. Carrie Ann Hurst is the singer. and Well, they both sing, I guess, but check them out. They're fantastic. They have a few songs that I actually... No one else would find them pump up music, but they have a couple songs that I get really into and can get me out the door.
0: Uh, Fifi Nomenon Penelope Needelander thank you so much for being with us here on the Edge of Sports Podcast
1: hey thank you for having me on the show that was a great interview. I hope
0: it was fun for you it was you. a pleasure be well
1: alright you too take care bye well Danny was no poet couldn't dance he never slept he had nightmares every night of rain and fire on those bloody beaches
0: just in the dew drop from the flower and he wept Marianne a melody. I think I wrote a song. And it goes like so long to my worried life. And now it's time for some choice words about Roger Goodell and the NFL not doing the right thing with regards to the transphobia that is sweeping the darkest corners of this country right now. See, Roger Goodell and the NFL recently had the chance to do the right thing, or at least take a breath and listen to people counseling them to do the right thing. Yet at the speed of a young Deion Sanders, they were proactively pathetic. The question before Commissioner Goodell... Should the league consider moving the February 2017 Super Bowl out of the city of Houston? Well, why move the big game? You see, Houston put some of their citizens' civil rights up for a vote and by a wide margin declared that LGBTQ people needed to accept a second-class form of citizenship. The referenda, aptly named the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance, or HERO, would have extended non-discrimination protections to also cover the LGBTQ community. Yet it wasn't even that it lost so much as how it lost, which would turn the stomach of anyone with even an ounce of compassion. The anti hero forces, and my God, how appropriate is that, took this fight to the gutter. The No campaign zeroed in on the T in LGBT and was viciously as well as unapologetically transphobic. The dominant slogan on t shirts and signs was No Men in Women's Bathrooms. As Republican Lieutenant Governor of Texas Daniel Patrick said, the campaign, quote, was about protecting our grandmoms and our mothers and our wives and our sisters and our daughters and our granddaughters. Texas Governor Greg Abbott even tweeted the phrase, no men in women's bathrooms, just in case trans people hadn't been demonized quite enough. It was ugly as sin and spoke to one of the most toxic traditions of the Old South, the idea that any atrocity can be justified if done in the name of, quote, protecting our daughters, end quote. It should be noted that not one example exists of a trans person exposing their genitals in a public bathroom and that it would be illegal for anyone to do so in any context. And not that you heard Greg Abbott talking about it, but the record of men following women into bathrooms to commit sexual assaults actually exists. That's a real problem, as opposed to this, a fake problem. But this campaign was ginned up to divide and conquer the people of Houston. And after the results were in, former Houston Astros star Lance Berkman, who also publicly campaigned against the ordinance, gave a quote for the ages when he crowed, tolerance is a virtue that's killing this country. Thanks, Lance. So I contacted Upworthy journalist Parker Malloy, who's a trans woman, for comment, and this is what she said. She said, it's always frustrating when things like basic human rights are put up for a public vote. And that's what happened Tuesday in Houston. It's even more frustrating when those leading the opposition run a campaign based on lies, which again is exactly what happened. 17 states and more than 200 municipalities have enacted similar protections without incident. But each time this gets brought up for discussion, whether you're talking about Houston or New York, the same lies get trotted out. No matter which way last night's vote went, the fact that there was a single person, let alone thousands, willing to cast a vote to say I'm less human and less legitimate than they are is absolutely heartbreaking. I went to bed heartbroken for my friends in Houston. Now, Without hero, discrimination has not only been codified in Houston, it has been emboldened. This poses a threat, first and foremost, to the LGBT population of the city. It also creates a dangerous environment for employees of any business planning to travel to Houston, like, for example, the National Football League. Now, under Roger Goodell's leadership, the NFL has established a pattern of responding to hot-button social issues in a manner that is to be kind, reactive, and skittish. Goodell waits takes the temperature of public opinion, flip-flops, and looks, no matter how you feel about his final decision, that he has the spine of a slinky. We've seen him publicly get weak in the knees when it comes to taking a stand on violence against women, the health of players, or even whether to take money from the military to salute the troops. Usually this league does its business in shadows. When exposed, it backpedals faster than Richard Sherman covering Julio Jones. Yet when it came to Houston, Goodell was firm as oak. The ink had not even dried on Hero's defeat before the NFL issued an immediate statement saying, this will not affect our plans for Super Bowl 51 in 2017. We will work closely with the Houston Super Bowl host committee to make sure all fans feel welcomed at our events. Our policies emphasize tolerance and inclusiveness and prohibit discrimination based on age, gender, race, religion, sexual orientation, or any other imp proper standard. Translated, the message of this statement was, the Super Bowl is not up for discussion. Now this decision by the NFL came right after the New York Giants became the first team to finally make a You Can Play video ad against LGBT discrimination. It comes after the league took demonstrable steps to portray themselves as having a zero-tolerance policy on homophobia Yet clearly, when it comes to the Super Bowl, a.k.a. Woodstock, for their corporate partners, there can be no discussion of moving the game, even if it imperils a portion of the people coming to the city. The idea that the Super Bowl must never, quote-unquote, have its plan affected by politics flies in the face of the NFL's own history. This is a league that in 1991 threatened to move the Super Bowl from Arizona because of the state's refusal to make Martin Luther King Day a holiday. Paul Tagliabue was commissioner back then. One wonders if Goodell was in charge, whether that threat would have been made at all, or if he would have just shrugged his shoulders and said, hey, shit happens. Well, that's not good enough, not even close, and this is not the last you've heard about this story. And now it's time for our Just Stand Up Award. Very briefly, I'm going to give it to one of my boyhood heroes, Harry Carson, the NFL Hall of Fame player who has been in the state legislature in Albany, New York, arguing that tackle football in the state should be banned for kids under 13, and saying that under no circumstances does he want his own grandchildren to play football. Now, this is very brave of Harry Carson, not least of all because the NFL is putting forward this big public relations offensive, saying that, hey... The league is actually a okay safe. Bruce Arians, the coach of the Cardinals, John Gruden, the voice of Monday Night Football, Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys, and of course Roger Goodell have all been saying similar things, that the sport is absolutely safe for humans. Even though the GM of the Buffalo Bills, Doug Whaley, recently said he did not think the game was made for humans. One wonders if he's going to wake up in the next morning with a steroid-addled horse's head lying next to him in his bed. But guess what? Bruce Arians, Jerry Jones, Roger Goodell, and John Gruden have in common, none of them actually ever played in the NFL. They have only made money off of the pain of people like Harry Carson. Bruce Arians said that anybody who would not let their children or grandchildren play the game are fools. That's what Bruce Arians said. One wonders if tough guy coach Arians would have the guts to say that to the face of Harry Carson. So thank you, Harry Carson. Thank you for just standing up. And there's always a place for you right here on the Edge of Sports podcast. the Edge of Sports podcast is brought to you by the Panoply Network my producer is Dan Bloom you can reach me Dave Zirin anytime on Twitter at Edge of Sports or at Edge of Sports at Slate.com we had an unbelievable show last week please go back and listen to it we talked to Jacqueline Keeler about the Washington Post poll claiming that 198% of the Native American community loves the racist name of the Washington football team the percentage might be off by a percentage I can't remember uh, what, what the Post was doing it was something like that Please subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice. And you can always go back and listen to old shows at edgeofsportspodcast.com. I'm Dave Zirin. We are out of here. Peace.